Christopher Kay, international book writing expert and author. I help women to overcome the fear of writing and publishing their books. And I'm so excited to have Vinu Keller from the US with me. Vinu is a parent coach, best-selling author, speaker and trainer for Tony Robbins. Vinu has almost every title of mom. She knows all too well about the ups and downs of being a mother. She has created a four-day program called the In-Home Turnaround. This program allows her to move in with the family for four days, help bring peace back in the home, have the parents back in charge, and create a more passionate relationship between the parents. Through the lessons and gifts Vinyu has received from her past, it has helped her to be a huge advocate to make our society bullyproof. Her two books, Bullyproof, Unleash the Hero Inside Your Kid and Numb, became bestsellers. So welcome to the show, Vinyu. Oh, thank you, Esther. It's so great to be here. I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you. <laughs> So lovely to have you being you. So let's start with the first question. What has been your turning moment in life? So for me, Esther, my turning moment was the moment I decided to choose life. I spent 21 years of my life contemplating suicide. It was my exit plan to, you know, get past all the pain that I felt I endured since I was six years old. Um, I was, um, I used to be a victim of bullying and, you know, the outside voices that you hear from other kids and other parents and teachers and adults turn into be your internal voice. And so it's, there was no escaping it. And, you know, through my journey, which I've written in both my books, um, it was really about, you know, trying to escape that pain, trying to find a better inner voice, you know, it was constantly self-beating, self-building, beating and never self-building. And, you know, I, I actually had a plan in 2016 to take my life because at that point, um, I only had two kids at the time and they were going to both had been graduated by then. And, you know, I, I had a belief that, you know, they're adults now I've done my job. They don't need me and I can finally go. And so, you know, you grow up living to die. And, you know, I know that sounds so cliche because, I mean, we kind of are, you know, we all have an expiration date and yet I was trying to choose my own date. So my turning point was when I went to my first um, personal, you know, development seminar, which I've never even heard of. He was named Tony Robbins and never heard of him before. Um, I accidentally found out about him because I was visiting a friend and it was a friend of a friend. <laughs> She's like, Oh, go to Tony Robbins. It'll make my year. And I'm thinking there's only two months left of the year, but okay, let me see what I can do. And, you know, long story short, I ended up there and it was through his process that I realized I had a choice. I had a choice to live or I had a choice to die. And what's great is that as I was seeking control my whole life, that's the one thing I did have control over. And I chose to live. And it was the scariest decision I ever made in my life because I no longer had an exit plan. I no longer had certainty of what was going to be. And I was literally, I felt giving up full control of my life by actually taking control of my life. So 
when I left that event, I remember that feeling of fear, that feeling of scared, but yet that feeling of empowered that I chose life and that suicide was no longer an option. And I did not know it was going to lead me to here. I just knew that it was going to be one day at a time and it was going to make, you know, I had to change behaviors. I had to change patterns. I had to change my friends and it was a slow, but yet fast process because, you know, I guess 14 years later or almost 15 years later, you know, here I am, um, you know, six figure coach, best author. I'm a mom of six. Now I have four kids that I've birthed and I have two stepdaughters and, uh, together my husband and I have three boys and three girls now. And, um, you know, I've been with my husband now for 10 years. And so I found love. I created my own business as a coach. Um, like you said, an author, you know, I have a new book that just came out, um, teach your children that they're enough because that is the key thing. When I started to, so that you asked me that question, what was the turning point? The turning point was to realize I wanted to live. And then everything just stacked upon that. It's creating new habits. And the first thing I needed to create was my self-worth and my self-love because nothing was going to be sustainable without those two things. Yeah. Wonderful. We knew you have this turning moment in this life. Otherwise we wouldn't be talking now. Yes. Uh, so what has caused so much pain in your life? Can you explain a little bit? So, you know, I was, um, my parents are from India and I was the first generation born in the United States in California. And, you know, whatever we see is what we believe. So, you know, I saw everybody as leaving me out, bullying me, making fun of my skin color, you know, whatever they can make fun of, they did, right? Kids are cruel and, you know, and it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. And I would say that, the teachers did nothing, just like I see that now. I mean, there are, I don't want to put down all teachers because there are teachers that are trying to make a difference and are making a difference. And then there's other ones that are like, I don't know what to do. And so they do nothing. And doing nothing is doing something. It's, it's a prolonging this pain that these kids are feeling. And I was different. I was the only Indian kid in my class. I never got picked for the sports. Nobody wanted me. People, you know, would say mean things about my skin color. Um, they'd make up things about me. And so I would constantly replay that kind of like a, like a hamster on a wheel in my head. And I would look in the mirror and it would be my incantation that I was ugly, that nobody liked me. I have no friends. And that's all I can see, right? Because that's what I believed. And, you know, when I would come home and talk to my mom, my mom ended up being a single parent, which was totally taboo in our culture you know, um, and I didn't have a great connection to my father. And so my mom raised us by herself, my brother and myself, and she went to law school at night and she worked one or two jobs during the day. So just to put food on the table. Um, so she wasn't there. Um, I remember specifically when I was 13, I was in eighth grade and the movie Gandhi came out and I was running track and all these kids started kneeling and going, Gandhi, Gandhi. And it was like in that moment that I was not going to let them see me cry. And so like every time I got around the other side of the track, like I'd just be bawling my eyes. And as soon as I run by them, I'd just be strong again. And I went home and I told my mom and, and she was like, oh, kids are going to be kids. You got to be tougher than that. 
So it was in that moment I, I learned that my mom doesn't get it. She doesn't hear me. There's no support. The teachers just stood there. My two teachers, and I still remember their name, Mr. Jewel and Mrs. Lloyd. They just stood there watching these kids do this. They didn't say anything to the kids, you know? And so then again, I had another reference that the teachers don't care, you know? And honestly, I felt like they kind of enabled it because that was my belief at 13 years old in my mind, you know, you're not doing anything. That means you're doing something. And, you know, I, I just learned to believe that. And at 15, and so at 13, I would wake up every day begging God that if he loved me, he wouldn't let me wake up. Um, but he did. I would make excuses of why I couldn't go to school, but my mom said too bad. You don't have a fever. You're going to school. So, you know, I, I would like try to hide from everybody when I came home from school, because like there was times they would be waiting in the park to throw like dirt clods at me. Um, the pain just stacked. And it's interesting now though, because, you know, I'm, I'm 48 now. So this is what, 35 years ago. Um, you know, at 15, I ended up in a psych hospital. Um, I, I started cutting as a release. Um, I tried to take my life and that's how I ended up in the psych hospital for two months. And then, um, you know, you and I were just talking about me going to India. That's how I got to India. My mom was just like, so scared that she's not there enough. We're in America. My grandparents are here now too in America. And they kind of came together. They're like, if we're going to save this girl, we got to get her to India because that's what my family knew, you know? So they sent me to a boarding school in India to kind of teach me discipline, self-respect as a girl, like all these things that their model of the world said, she's not being, so we need to go and take her here. So I never been to India before in my life. And it's interesting because in, at 16, here in America, you know, people are getting their, their cars. They're like 16th birthday. They're getting a new car or a used car. I got, literally on my 16th birthday, August 11th, 1989, I was on a plane to India. That was my 16th birthday present. And, um, I was scared. Um, but you know, one of the things that I have learned over these years of overcoming all of this pain is that blame effectively, right? That, like, that's one of the things. And, you know, I have the courage I have today because of that. I have the determination to be something, to be seen because of that. I learned to have a voice because I needed to be heard and I was no longer going to let them take my voice. And now I have a special gift to really work with kids that have anxiety, depression, cutting, suicidal tendencies, because I can get to the core. I ask these kids the questions nobody was asking them. I see them, I feel them, and I can hear them in a way that these psychiatrists and therapists and psychologists that have this best practice, that's not best practice when you're just learning from a textbook. I too have a degree in psychology. I've too have the education. And yet none of that matters. You know what matters is the experience I experienced at such a young age to come through it and realize it didn't happen to me. It didn't happen for me. It happened through me. And now I teach parents, how do you give your child a childhood they don't have to heal from? What could we do as parents to 
redefine what parenting really is? How do you create that open, safe, and trusting space for your child to feel that they, that you at least see them and hear them? Would they still want to take their lives if they knew somebody was out there to hear them? Maybe not that child at school, maybe not that principal or that teacher, but you are there and you will protect them because you do see them and you do see that their life is worth more. Which question didn't people ask you at that time and you're asking now to suicidal kids? Well, there's a lot of questions. But <laughs> one of them, so what I would tell parents is we got to get curious, not critical. Everybody wanted to tell me how I was feeling. Oh, she's depressed. Oh, she's anxious. Oh, it's because she doesn't know how to handle the kids. Oh, it's because she believes this. They were, had so many assumptions and they had so many ways to cope with this, cope with this. We just need to give her coping mechanism. To give somebody coping skills means that the, what they have to cope with is unchangeable. I do not agree. I agree that my sadness was changeable. I, I think that the way I felt it was changeable. I think the way I saw it was changeable. I think the way that the kids were treating me was changeable. But to say you need coping skills meant that I had to cope with what was going on because it was never going to change. The weather I need to cope with because I don't, I can't change the weather. I can cope with the weather. But to say what I'm feeling with today, the anger, the sadness, the guilt, all of that, it is changeable. And what was really confusing is that what I've realized through my, my, my own coach, I have three coaches. And one of my coach told me last year, she says, if you change what you see, what you see will change. What if that would have been given to me at 15 or 13? What if somebody said, well, you know, is it possible that what they're doing is this? And it's really not about you. Huh? Maybe. What if somebody would have asked me different questions to get my mind to shift on what I was seeing? Would I have a different definition? Would I have different resources to support new beliefs? But because there was nobody there to help me redirect the belief that I had created to recreate a new belief that's empowering, not disempowering, would everything have changed for me? And I'll tell you this. So my mom read my book, Bullyproof. And I remember, I'm like, oh God, like I did not want her to read it because in my culture, we do not put our dirty laundry out there. We do not let people know the issues that we have. We are putting a smiling face. It's like a Facebook front, right? Nobody on Facebook ever wants to talk about what's not happening. They're always talking about like, what's great. And um, <laughs> I was like, so scared when my mom was going to read my book. And she's like, oh, I need to read it. I've been here, like, give me your book. And I, I'm like, oh God, she's going to read it. And the next day she tells me, she's like, so I read your book. And she put her hand on my leg and she started to cry. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't know. And I said, mom, thank God you didn't. Thank God you didn't know. Because if something would have changed, would I be doing what I'm doing now? How many lives I get to change? How many families can, do I get to touch? That's why I created my in-home turnaround program is because I move in with families. I don't stay in a five-star hotel and eat luxury food. I eat what they eat. I live where they live. 
and I create this program to show them what is possible. Not that they get to hear it, but they get to see it. They get to experience it in a way that never been experienced before. So it's tangible to them. And then we coach afterwards to make sure they're sustainable. You know, I'm certified as a neuroencoding specialist through Joseph McClendon's program. And that's the whole essence of neuroencoding. And it's interesting because I created this program way before I was certified as a neuro, neuroencoding specialist. But it's the, you know, see it, you know, say it, do it. It's, it's in your nervous system. It's rewiring our wires in our brain to know that this is actually an experience we can have. And we can let go of the old beliefs and create these new ones and have sustainable resources to support that. Beautiful. Being you. What are the questions you are asking when you come to a family? Um, the first question is, what do they want? You know, like that seems so simple, but, you know, in the words of Joseph McClendon, it's not rocket science. It's what do they want? You know, um, what do they need that they're not getting? What is it the, is it the safety? What, and what, is, and we have to define what do these things mean? What does safety mean to your kid? Does it mean rules and boundaries? Does it mean you're checking in with them? Does it mean that you're dropping them off and picking them up? Does it mean that they need more independence because you trust them and that trust gives them that safety? We have to define in our children's eyes, what are these things meaning to them? Because that's where conflict happens is when we have two different meanings, which lead to different expectations. And when the expectation's not met, then we have conflict. And what do you do then? We resolve it. <laughs> we resolve it. We, we get them to understand each other's point of view and we resolve it. They, we create new outcomes for them. We create, we figure out what's going to work for them and we take them through the process. Do you remember when you arrived in a family where you have really difficult work to do? How was that? I feel like every family I deal with is different. They all have different um, values. They all have different expectations. So um, I don't really ever look at a family being hard or not hard. I just look at, you know, one, how can I love this family even more? And how could I just be a conduit of the work that needs to be done in this family to bring peace in their home? And what are the, the feedbacks you get from them after you have left? Well, I've been doing this for many years. And I think one of the biggest things I get when they're dropping me off on day four at the airport is, do you have to go? Can you stay longer? <laughs> And I, I feel like that has been, it's a beautiful thing that they, you know, what we started with is not how we ended. And it's beautiful because, you know, I've, you know, been in many, many of different programs where I watch people transform before my eyes, you know, and I always say on day one, we're going to create this family and who we are today is not who we're going to end up on day five or day six, however long the program is. And it's the same thing. It's that same thing that lights me up is to watch all these people take in information and really use it to transform their lives. And I kind of do the same thing when I go into homes. Mm, wonderful. Love it being you. And imagine 
there would have been someone like you in your family at that time, how would have been that? Well, I mean, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because I would have not had this childhood I had to heal from. I would have healed from it then, right? And so, and it just goes back to what I'm saying is like, how do we give our children a childhood they don't have to heal from? What do we need to do in the home first to build them up, to give them their worth, to let them know what self-love is? And it's not just by telling them, it's having them experience it. What is the most important question you're asking yourself day by day or every week once? Well, every day I wake up and I first, you know, I have my morning routine and I, you know, um, thank God for allowing me to open my eyes again. And which is so different from when I was 13, right? Asking him not to. Now I'm thanking him for allowing me. Um, and then I ask myself every day, how can I be, how can I make today better than yesterday? When I, when it comes to my kids or any, any conflict I have, there's two questions I ask. One is how could I be more curious? So I'm not critical. And how can I be more playful? <laughs> we can't take life so seriously. Like how can we just play? Beautiful. And what would you like us to, to do every day more apart from that? Curious. I would say, you know, if I can leave your listeners with one thing is learn to be curious, you know, especially with your kids, be open to hear them. Don't ask the word why that question, why makes a kid defensive, just like it would make us defensive, you know? Why did you spill the milk? Who cares why they spilled the milk? What do they need to know so they don't do it again next time? You know, let's not stay in the problem. Let's let's future pace them and what's going to be better. And, you know, take off the labels. You know, they're not good. They're not bad. You know, if we're just curious, like the choices that they make may not be good in that moment, but what's the lesson they're going to get out of it? Because God only knows I have made many, many bad choices. And it's those bad choices that have led me to where I am today because there's a reflection and there's a opportunity to learn through them. What kind of rituals did you build up with your kids now in you? So my children know the Ho'oponopono prayer, which is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. We do that at night. They've been doing it since they were two. As a matter of fact, this weekend, I was going through old videos like from seven years ago, eight years ago, or no, seven or six years ago. And their little baby voices, you know, saying this, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. It's just, it's so beautiful. And then also asking them every day, what kind of day are you going to have? And what does that look like to them? So I, as their parent can have a real understanding of what their definition of that kind of day is. And again, we've been doing this since our preschool. And like, I was watching this video and my daughter's like, I'm going to have a princess day. Oh, okay. What does that look like? What's a princess day to you? So she got to define it. And we still do that, you know, and my husband takes them and picks them up now. But when they come home and we have our time, I'm like, what kind of day did you have? You know, what did that mean to you? What was great about your day? Is there any challenges that you're having at school? You know, um, is there anything I can support you in? So, you know, I, I, I work a lot, you know, I'm constantly asking my kids, how do you know I love you? 
What is it that I do that shows you I love you? Because I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. You know, I want to make sure. And like, it's interesting because my kids now they're nine and a half twins and they have different definitions of how daddy shows them love and how I show them love. And it's beautiful. You know, dad's definitely the more playful. I'm more the, you know, disciplinary, but you know, as much as I teach them organization and this is how it should be. And, you know, this is what's going to take you further faster. He gets to remind them to be playful and fun and don't take life so seriously. And it's a beautiful combination. Where can people reach you? Thank you, um, Esther. So I am all over social media under Venu Inspires. My website is Venu Inspires. That's V-E-E-N-U-I-N-S-P-I-R-E-S.com. Um, you know, I, I do free calls. I, I you know, I, I feel like to gift those calls to people because just to, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So even a conversation with me can support you in learning new strategies, see what you're not seeing. You know, how do you know if your kid's depressed or not? You know, a lot of these families think, oh, we're good. You're not good. Every child is going through their own thing. And if your kid is that athlete and has friends and is social, do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they feel? <clears throat> do you know the definitions they're giving to this? Or are you just looking at as a snapshot thinking that everything's great? Because I used to do the same thing and things weren't great. And that's why I had to change the way I parented. And that's why I redefined what parenting was. Because what I did, my older, my older boys are, don't have, didn't have self-worth. They didn't have self-esteem. They didn't know self-love because I parented through my old baggage. And it wasn't until they were growing up that I started to change. And now it's different. You know, now the way I communicate with them is different. The what I say to them is different. And now I have new, fresh eyes to parent my, my twins. Beautiful. So Vinu, the last three truths you would like to give us, you gave so much already, but the last three. Um, learn to be open with your kids. That means you're not interrupting. You're allowing them to say what they need to say. Um, let them learn to trust you. That means be consistent and follow through. Mean what you say and say what you mean. And give them safety. Safety means don't judge them when they say something. Hear them. Support them. And love them. Very beautiful. Thank you so much, Vinu, for sharing all that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs>